This Security Ledger Spotlight podcast is sponsored by the Trusted Computing Group. Through open standards and specifications, Trusted Computing Group enables secure computing. Benefits of the Trusted Computing Group technologies include protection of business-critical data and systems, secure authentication, and strong protection of user identities, and the establishment of strong machine identity and network integrity. Trusted hardware and applications reduce enterprise total cost of ownership and support regulatory compliance. Check them out at trustedcomputinggroup.com. Hello, and welcome to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast, sponsored by Trusted Computing Group. In this episode of the podcast, recent reports by Motherboard and Kaspersky Lab revealed that hackers have compromised a server of the computer manufacturer Asus live software update tool. They used it to install a malicious backdoor on thousands of Asus computers worldwide with a malicious file that masqueraded as an authentic software update signed with legitimate ASUS digital certificates. According to the reports, ASUS unwittingly pushed out the backdoor to customers for at least five months before the discovery last year. This is just the latest example of a growing and worrying trend, software supply chain compromises. Other examples include the outbreak of the NotPetya wiper malware in 2017, which initially spread in the form of a signed software update from the Ukrainian finance software MEDOCS. As the Internet of Things takes shape, it's a safe bet that cybercriminals, nation-state actors, and other sophisticated hackers will look to leverage software updates as a means to gain control over connected endpoints and targeted networks. Is there anything to be done about the problem? Sure there is, says our guest this week. Dennis Mattoon of Microsoft Research says that supply chain attacks only work because the current approaches to verifying firmware updates rely entirely on the integrity of cryptographic signatures on the update file, but don't verify the content of the update itself. Mattoon is one of the engineers working on an alternative to that model. The Device Identifier Composition Engine, or DICE, is a new architecture for the Internet of Things, promoted by the Trusted Computing Group. DICE creates cryptographically strong device identities and attestation for software updates and other functions. Signed but malicious software updates in a DICE environment would not be installed because their cryptographic signature would be just one measure of their authenticity, not the only measure. In this interview with the Security Ledger, Dennis and I talk about DICE and how it's different from the Trusted Computing Group's other major technologies the Trusted Platform Module. We also talk about how a DICE architecture would prevent supply chain compromises like NotPetya and the ASUS attack, and how Internet of Things developers can leverage DICE in their own creations. Okay, Dennis, uh, welcome back to Security Ledger Podcast. It's great to have you back in the studio and speak with you again. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Dennis, you are one of the principal architects of a really important uh, technology standard. I know we've talked about it here on the uh, Security Ledger podcast before, which is DICE, stands for Device Identity Composition Engine. To start out, even though we've talked about this on the podcast before, for listeners who might not have heard, maybe just give us a short elevator pitch on what DICE is and what it does. The TCG 
device uh, hardware specification provides a platform for hardware-derived device identity, cryptographically strong uh, device identity in hardware. And that's, as we see it, the the critical building block for uh, higher value security scenarios uh, around attestation, secure update, sealing, which is data at rest protection, recovery, cyber resiliency, uh, that, that kind of stuff. And uh, folks are probably familiar with Trusted Computer Group as the uh, originators and um, promoters of the Trusted Platform module, which is now in you know uh, so many higher-end uh, devices, uh, laptops, desktops, and, and a wide range of other types of endpoints as well. DICE was really formulated as a way to solve a similar type of problem, uh, but on endpoints, particularly Internet of Things endpoints, that for whatever reason, cost or power requirements couldn't support uh, a TP. Uh, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So on systems that aren't typically resource constrained, uh, the TPM is awesome. You can leverage it to for all kinds of interesting security scenarios. And, and, and today there's innumerable scenarios relying on the TPM. But there is a big gap for those systems that cannot afford, whether it's because of bomb cost or, or intellectual debt or resource budget, a TPM. And we see this as, as being a pretty important gap for devices in the IoT space to fill in particular. So on those devices where resources come at a premium, we sort of identified those critical building blocks we need uh, to provide in order to enable really important scenarios. And sort of the number one capability that is required in this space is a, a, a hardware-derived, hardware-based uh, device identity, something upon which you can build uh, cryptographically significant primitives uh, around the device's identity. And that can be extended using the same kinds of ideas that we have in the TPM. We have this concept of, of a PCR, for example, a platform configuration register. So when the platform comes up, it has its uh, hardware secure device identity, uh, and that can be combined with measurements on the platform itself to, to create an attestation statement. And this kind of uh, identity and attestation pairing, this kind of uh, platform provides really the, the sort of critical uh, security scenarios in the IoT space. And while the TPM is is great, capable of lots of different things. In your typical IoT device, you're not going to need nearly the breadth of capability a TPM provides. DICE is designed to fill the gap for IoT and provide those primitives for all the different security scenarios that you typically associate with, with IoT devices. So you're an engineer at uh, Microsoft and Microsoft Research. And Microsoft has been among the earliest adopters of the DICE technology and um, had one of the first, if not the first, kind of production deployment of DICE as part of its Azure device provisioning service, DPS. Could you just talk about what that is and, and how Microsoft is using DICE uh, as part of its Azure IoT hub offering? Uh, sure. One of the sort of first kinds of problems that that we go after in IoT is is around provisioning. So if if you have some environment where you've deployed thousands of of, of devices, for example, uh, it'd be great to not have to go and visit each one in order to provision it. And the device provisioning service from Azure is, uh, as you noted, the the first production release for Dice, and it's designed to to do just that. It, uh, devices that contain the firmware that are capable of of talking up to Azure, they come up, and the first thing they do on Power On is to go phone home and, and link up with uh, the Azure cloud. And the device provisioning service is responsible for talking to that device, challenging it based on its identity and configuration, instructing it to make 
essentially uh, a statement of attestation to its identity and software configuration. And when it checks out, it, it gets automatically added to your IoT hub, which is Azure's abstraction for your ownership of the device. And that's kind of the long version of deploy the devices, power them up, they go phone home, they're automatically claimed by your organization, and you're off and running. And, and DICE is the sort of critical piece to that, uh, providing your, your device's identity. So our listeners are probably familiar with the TPM. They might have even created uh, software for environments that rely on a TPM. If we were to look at the sort of the delta between the TPM and DICE uh, in terms of what functionality or capabilities are on each platform, what is that? Or I would guess the DICE is a subset of, of TPM capabilities. In terms of a hardware specification, they don't appear related whatsoever. TPM is, is is a big, you know, 100 or so command and response kind of device. It has resources like uh, onboard NV, programmable registers. It's a full-blown discrete part, right? And and DICE, the DICE hardware specification, conversely, really kind of presents a couple principles more so than particular prescriptive hardware requirements. So uh, in the DICE specification, all that you're really required to do is provide a statistically unique device secret that's unique to, unique to every device and protected by some mechanism on the device such that only the device identifier composition engine has access to that secret. And really, that's kind of it. So DICE is as simple of a hardware specification as, as one can get away with, but still provides uh, the the primitives necessary to be able to to, to put together these these richer scenarios that you typically associate with with TPM and it's on the system software developer to to sort of pick and choose those features that they require for their platform and mm -hmm. implement them with their primitives they provide in their own hardware. Okay, so we last heard from you last summer and now we're in 2019. Um, what's going on with the Dice platform? What types of news is there either on the feature front or on the deployment and implementation front or on the partner front? Um, what's been going on? Uh, I think last time we spoke, uh, DPS was still in, in preview, uh, but now it is, it is, yeah. uh, it's hit general availability. So anybody can go out there and, and play with it. When last we spoke, I think we had uh, maybe three, three notable anyway, vendors that support DICE. That was uh, microchip uh, on the CEC 1702 and uh, 1302 uh, microcontrollers that they offer. ST, so ST Microelectronics with the um, STM32L0 and L4 MCUs and, and Winbond, which was, which was implementing this um, in a, in a sort of more interesting way. It, in their in their flash controller and i think micron was on that list also providing dice in flash uh, and since then we've had well a few additional key adopters uh, including uh nxp with the dynamic 6 7 um the ls 10 12 also from nxp we have some some other really interesting partners coming up that have not publicly announced it i can't talk about them but i can't wait to because they're also interesting and in addition to straight hardware vendors, we've also seen adop uh, DICE adoption in other sort of open source kinds of uh, arenas as well. First, we're working on uh, ARM trusted firmware prototypes for, for DICE. So I have a couple of the new fancy ARM Muska boards uh, with ARM trusted firmware TFM, uh, and we're working on porting it there. And also Project Cerberus via the uh, via OCP, the Open Open Compute Project, I think it is. Yeah, talk about what Project Cerberus is, yeah. Project Cerberus is is the security architecture for for the, the sort of overall project called Project Olympus. That that is the Azure data center specifications for their servers. So Microsoft Azure decided to open source the specifications for hardware that you find in Azure data centers. Project Cerberus is the security architecture for this 
hardware specification. Its purpose is to provide protection for what what is now an emerging threat, and especially in IoT, but all over the place, which is this uh, supply chain protection. Project Cerberus specifies a microcontroller that, that, that sits on the board, an interposer uh, on a spy bus, and its job is to protect accesses to, to memory and to interrogate the devices in the box to challenge them on their, on their sort of device identity. Using something like Project Cerberus, you can understand all of the parts in the box and and be able to make a statement to uh, the hardware that's present and and the firmware on those different hardware elements that are that are inside the box so you know if say in the supply chain someone added a card that they shouldn't have or your device is is, is missing some kind of device or you're given a device other than what you expect project Cerberus's job to 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 identify where those memory accesses are coming from protect uh, areas of memory and to challenge devices for their uh, identity and, and firmware. This is really kind of a fascinating development as we as we move forward into this Internet of Things world. It really seems to address a few problems, one of which, of course, is the hardware supply issue. Uh, the other is sort of the software supply chain concerns we have. Uh, most recently, the story in Motherboard about you know malicious software updates uh, from Asus, which is another kind of device maker. Are those the types of issues that are getting people to turn to, you know, a vendor like Microsoft and say, let's just live in this walled garden where we have some uh, protection from these these risks? To some extent, yes. In my personal opinion, it's, it, it's not even important that you necessarily go with the Microsoft solution, right? So with my TCG hat on, these attacks, like the one detailed in the Bloomberg article, uh, which you, you may or may not believe every every single technical detail of, of the attack, the recent Asus attacks, it's important that we do something. These are exactly the kinds of attacks that we sort of are protecting against, are, are sort of seeing in the future. They may be real now, they may be real in the near future, uh, but the fact is that they're real. People are attempting to, to exploit these weaknesses in, in, the, in the supply chain, and there needs to be an answer for it. So, which is why TCG is, is focused on closing these gaps, addressing these new trends in security, especially in IoT. You're listening to a Spotlight edition of Security Ledger podcast sponsored by the Trusted Computing Group. Through open standards and specifications, Trusted Computing Group enables secure computing. Benefits of the Trusted Computing Group technologies include protection of business-critical data and systems, secure authentication, and strong protection of user identities, and the establishment of strong machine identity and network integrity. Trusted hardware and applications reduce enterprise total cost of ownership and support regulatory compliance. Check them out at trustedcomputinggroup.com. Yeah, so let's let's kind of unpack it for a second. Let's look at the Asus incident, uh, it, which is similar to other incidents that we've seen, whether it's not Petya or going far enough back, you know, Flame. You had a compromise of the um, update server at the company, at the headquarters, who's sending out these uh, firmware or software updates to deployed devices. Uh, they were able to work in a malicious update that you know, had a similar size. The the binary was a similar size and was signed. Uh, it was signed using a, a valid key belonging to Asus. So it put us in a position of uh, if this is a DICE-enabled device, how does that uh, malicious firmware update get get identified or stopped? Part of the reason this was so successful is because we're just going to check signatures and go, well, okay, I see this was signed by Asus. 
awesome. I'm going to go ahead and install it and run. We've been doing this for decades. This is no longer the solution because if I can exploit the environment that allows me to use your own code signing certificate to issue malware, uh, I'm going to do that all day long and I'll probably get away with it. When you have something like DICE, DICE relies on the effectiveness of DICE is in the measurement of, of the code you're actually going to execute. So if I'm Asus and I issue a device that I have known measurements for, and I combine that with my hardware identity, I can evaluate what's running on that platform. If you you as an attacker manage to get a hold of my signing keys and, and, and push an update where the signatures actually check out, that's not good enough because in my environment, I'm going to go ahead and measure the firmware running on that platform. And if it contains your exploit, it didn't come from, from my development environment. I, I, I know the measurement that my firmware is supposed to have. So even though you managed to sign it and it looks good from the outside, the measurement comes up different. My, my keys end up different. I now am, am, am cut out of the ecosystem, right? Be, because uh, the server doesn't identify me as a valid device any longer. I'm out and the attack isn't successful. With DICE or TPMs or the combination of TPMs and DICE, I can have an environment in which I identify this problem and have some, some fallback because it's not a good idea to continue to function in security as if we can protect ourselves from everything. There's a bug somewhere. Someone's going to exploit it. You are going to get owned at some point, right? So you need to be resilient in, in the face of attack. Um, so on the assumption that there's some exploitable problem in our environment, we need to have a plan for what to do when they're successful. And that's where sort of cyber resiliency comes in. When you're talking about using the ASUS as an example, we're talking about the measurements uh, of the firmware. Like what, what, what are these? Again, this is sort of the like neophyte question, but um, what, what are those measurements that are being taken to verify that it's legitimate versus illegitimate firmware? Uh, the the sort of typical approach to to attestation is um, uh, on power on reset your your reset vector gets gets control and, and and begins executing in ROM and then typically ROM hands off to some uh, SPL or secondary uh, loader um, and that sort of chain typically goes forward to you know secondary bootloader OS or or trust zone or, or something like that so. The way these measurements are performed is in a dice uh, scenario, uh, platform power and reset unconditionally grants dice control. So, so in in ROM, um, the device identifier composition engine gets control, and it will measure the component it's about to hand control to once the ROM has completed its execution. Um, and it, I say measure, but all that really is is uh, use of some cryptographic one-way function, for example, a hash. So it'll hash the, the image of, of, the, of the bootloader, combine the device secret in hardware with that measurement to, to create a secret. That secret gets handed to the layer that receives control of the device. And then it's, it's that layer's responsibility to, to perform his measurement of the next component to execute combine that with his secret, and that's sort of the dice derivation chain. You have a secret that's derived rolling forward to some endpoint, for example, a TA in, a, in, in Trust Zone or some security critical uh, piece of the high-level OS. In an environment, for example, like this, like this ASUS thing, if you manage to get an exploit onto my device, uh, if, if I've designed my, my architecture properly, that exploit, if it's going to run, uh, had better be mixed in with the measurements I take of the platform layer that the exploit is present it, within. So 
presumably, uh, my measurements come out right out of the factory, for example, during manufacturing, I, I produce a sort of golden image, right? And the device is healthy. Sometime during runtime, um, I take an update and updates that contain the exploit will come out with one set of measurements and uh, an update without the exploit would come out with a different set of measurements. Uh, your identity is based on um, not only the hardware identity, but the measurements taken of, of your firmware. So those devices with the exploit will come out having identities we don't recognize. And you mentioned that this kind of fits in nicely with uh, another big initiative at TCG, which is this focus on cyber resilience. Uh, TCG launched a cyber resilient technology work group uh, earlier this year um, to really focus on building cyber resilient systems, systems that can withstand adverse cyber events. Um, talk about how DICE and, and I guess TPM as well kind of fit into that and, and what that initiative is all about. So the Cyber Resilient Technologies uh, Workgroup is right now in the process of producing uh, their own hardware specification, uh, detailing some other hardware kinds of features that enable cyber resiliency. A key piece of the puzzle, though, is, is platform identity and attestation, and that's what DICE provides. So a cyber resilient platform, according to the uh, eventual specification, will be one implementing DICE uh, or a, a TPM or some combination thereof, and provides the cryptographic primitives for implementing uh, sort of best practices around uh, cyber resiliency. In this update case, the uh, the ASUS uh, update. Correct. In a uh, cyber resilient uh, system would effectively guarantee that I am able to deploy updates to these devices to to recover them. And for IoT, a particular value for cyber resiliency is this notion of automated recovery, that we have mechanisms in hardware to guarantee we regain the attention of the device in order to recover it. So for example, say you have uh, a, a DDoS attack or for whatever reason, the exploit contained in, in your live update tool uh, is preventing your device from phoning home and checking in so that it can automatically update itself. One of the novel things the Cyber Resilient Technology Workgroup is, is presenting is this notion of an attention trigger, a, a, a way to forcibly regain control of a device. Hmm. We'll leave that for another day. That that's an interesting technology that 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 will soon have specifications to point people at. But uh, suffice it to say that that the connection to dice and TPMs is the other side of cyber resiliency, which is to be able to identify and attest to uh, the identity and firmware and configuration of a device. You had mentioned in an earlier comment, you know, sort of almost as an aside, you know, if you if you sort of design your architecture properly. So I guess one question is: these are amazing new technologies, but at the end of the day, they do need to be implemented properly. So what are um, some of the challenges or some of the sort of new concepts that developers need to get familiar with to properly implement things like dice in their devices? It's funny because I think I think I remember back in our in the last time we spoke, uh, I, I noticed noted this as as one of our weaknesses around around uh, TCG and Dice, and, and that's the developer story. Sadly, I think that's still the case. We are putting effort into providing more developer resources around this stuff, but but I feel like we're still not there yet. So one of the things we're doing in TCG to, to re help remedy this is uh, not only produce specifications that talk about what a particular piece of hardware does, right? Your typical hardware specification. Uh, we're also trying to provide references, uh, guidance documents, white papers around um, big picture, how these pieces come together. What are, what are the best practices around implementing these things? Uh, so 
yeah, it's great that your device has this unique device secret that only Dice Engine can access, but then what, right? The, the Dice reference that we recently published and uh, future publications are going to talk more about how you can put these pieces together and, and providing different options for how a system software designer can can assemble these pieces uh, and produce these these meaningful scenarios. Some of them are, are kind of old hat to people that have been implementing security crypto kinds of things in the past, and uh, some of them may be new. And, and uh, we need to do a better job of, of getting these resources out there and uh, especially getting uh, sample code and, 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 and examples and, and different developer resources out there. And that's something TCG has taken a renewed focus on with their recent release of the uh, Trusted Computing Group Developer Community uh, website. They have provided a forum where uh, member companies can go to, to, to post you know, how-tos, some marketing material, developer resources around um, the technologies they have that implement different TCG specifications. And that's something we're, we're in the process of taking advantage of to provide those resources to companies and, and developers in general. I mean, the other problem is kind of the market problem, right, which is often the drivers for device makers, particularly in the consumer space, but not just, is, you know, time to market, low build of materials, uh, low cost for build of materials, competitive pressure to get it out, you know, on, on you know, early or you know, scoop up market share. How do we make it advantageous for device makers to do the extra work to implement a, um, you know, hardware root of trust or a secure um, uh, architecture like DICE uh, or TPM in their, in their device, in their connected thing? That's uh, an excellent question. It, it's, it's one I wish I knew the answer to. Uh, it, it's it's <laughs> really the best we can do is to make it as easy as possible. And, and I think that's really one of the key benefits of something like DICE is um, when you look at the hardware specification, uh, as as a device vendor, you're not going to look at it and say, "Well, geez, now I got to implement all all this crazy stuff. They want me to change my hardware." Um, no, chances are, if if you're an NXP, if you're a, if you're a Winbond, if you're a ST Microelectronics, um, chances are the hardware you're producing today already has these primitives. Um, so, worst case, maybe you're doing something different in ROM, or mm -hmm. you know, perhaps if you're a, a, a vendor that hasn't thought about security, you might need to implement some of these things. But um, NXP is a great example. Uh, so their IMX6 line of, of uh, not IMX6, but IMX in general, um, line of parts, uh, and I don't want to sound like a salesman for NXP, they just happen to be the first example that, that occurred to me, uh, they already have all these primitives built in. And to implement something like DICE, is is just to use those hardware primitives in a, a different, perhaps interesting way, um, and then the, and then the real challenge begins building an architecture on top of this that that um, can effectively uh, fill, answer those scenarios for IoT, in IoT security, um, and that's why you see Dice support looking different across devices because we've tried to give. Uh, hardware vendors' freedom to uh, implement this in ways that uh, are least disruptive to their platform. I don't want some hardware vendor to go have to disrupt their their development process to, to go make changes in tape out or development that, that's going to require changes that no one's willing to make. Because ultimately, uh, one of the things people have shown themselves willing to do in the IoT space is throw out security features in order to achieve a particular cost point right sure so yeah. uh the best thing we can do 
to 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 encourage adoption is to make it easy to adopt. It's just it's to remove those barriers to entry as much as possible. Okay, can you give us a picture of what's coming on what's on the roadmap for Dice? Um, and so, also, you're you're at Microsoft Research, so I always imagine you in some really cool building working on really interesting projects. Um, but uh, so I'd be interested in hearing what you're working on as well. The building is actually kind of cool, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one of the things I'm, I'm working on day to day is is, is hardware from NXP in, in developing uh, secure firmware for trusted cyber physical systems. So platforms in which control real world things uh, with some, some IoT device or or, or some uh, piece of technology, and the ability to, to guarantee the security of, of the device that's running those 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 security critical systems. This is connected to TCG in that in in the Dice work group in TCG, one of the things we're actively working on is what we call our complex system specification. Dice in a really simple MCU is 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 pretty pretty straightforward, right? You, you have this thing in ROM or in hardware that has access to this device secret calculates a quick hash, combines uh, the device secret with, with that measurement, and you're off and running. Well, that doesn't really work as simply on a device, for example, with, with a trust zone. So the device has, has much more resources, uh, a greater attack surface, more to measure. Uh, how do we extend this low-level hardware-based device identity up through... Uh, well, through ROM, through the bootloader, through the trust zone monitor, which is usually Opti or or, or whatever other trust zone solution you use, up to uh, up to embody the identity of the trusted application running on the platform. So in TCG, we're working on specifying this, and here at Microsoft Research, uh, my project happens to be implementing this, and and these two things are sort of coming up together. Uh, lessons learned from implementation get incorporated in our in our specifications, and on the specification side, we have input from you know, a, a, across the industry uh, and, and, the, and the membership of TCG. So they're sort of coming up together and, and each is informing the other. Out of the DICE Architectures work group in TCG right now is complex systems and, and the symmetric case for DICE. So the, the sort of common case out now for DICE is an environment in which sort of like the DPS solution, uh, the device provisioning service solution from Azure, where your identities are based on asymmetric key pairs. So I have some private key, you have my public key, and we can we can talk in a trusted way. That's not true for all devices. Some devices, like that simple MCU case, uh, can't go and uh, they, you 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 can't afford to have those uh, symmetric crypto solutions in software, or they're certainly not implemented in hardware on a very simple device. So how do we implement this at the, at the very low end for devices, say in automotive or healthcare, where you have these these exceptionally resource constrained devices, but it's still important to be able to interrogate them for their identity and, and, and configuration. And that's one of the one of the current efforts in the Dice Architectures work group is come up with specifications around that that simple symmetric case as well. Dennis Mattoon of Microsoft Research and Trusted Computing Group, thank you so much for coming on again and talking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. It was great having you. Great. Thanks for having me. Dennis Mattoon is a principal software development engineer at Microsoft Research. You've been listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by Trusted Computing Group. Through open standards and specifications, Trusted Computing Group enables secure computing. Benefits of the Trusted Computing Group technologies include protection of business-critical data and systems, secure authentication, and strong protection of user identities, and the establishment of strong machine identity and network integrity. Trusted hardware and applications reduce enterprise total 
cost of ownership and support regulatory compliance. Check them out at trustedcomputinggroup.com. 